you've got you got to pick your customs agent like are they gonna be freaked out when you say it's for women with their period you put it in your vagina are they gonna go okay yes yes please just go through don't talk to me about this anymore I I can't do it or are they gonna go oh that's fantastic madam would you turn around and I'm gonna cuff you you're going to jail podcast for introverts, extroverts, and everyone in between. I'm your host, Chelsea Heaney, and my guest today is an activist and a writer. She is the founder for the COVA Project, that's C-O-V-A, which is a non-for-profit organization that provides menstrual cups for women in Africa who can't afford or don't have access to sanitary products. I'm so excited to have her here today, not only because of the amazing work that she does, but also we get to talk about one of my favorite topics, which is periods. Woohoo! So please welcome to the show, Gina Anderson. Hi, Chelsea. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. No worries. Um, I just wanted to put up here at the top as well. I'm sure we're going to be using um, the terms women and girls a lot, uh, but it's not only women who get periods and not all women get periods. Uh, So I just wanted to acknowledge that at the top here. Lots of different genders get periods as well. Well said. Yeah, I just want to, even though we might be using the term women, I wanted to acknowledge that as well. So tell us about the COVA project and how it got started. Wow. So so it's kind of a, a long story that I'll try to do an abridged version of. Um, but basically, if I take you all the way back to 2009, 2010, when I was at uh, school, I got sick with Lyme disease and I kind of had to reevaluate my life because the original track that I was planning on taking of kind of um, becoming a doctor or a vet or something like that really got curtailed by by that health um, obstacle. So so I ended up not finishing school, which was something completely out of the realm of possibility to me prior to it happening. And mm. I um and I had to had to look elsewhere for for purpose and for um you know new goals in my life. And and one of those goals remained wanting to help people in whatever ca- capacity I could. Um, and so when I was in 21 in 2015 I um, had my sister graduate school and she said is there anything in the world that you would like to do you know what can I kind of help you achieve with your health and I said look I'd love to go over to Africa and work with animals it's always been a passion of mine she said okay let's do that but there needs to be a non- animal aspect to the trip because she's <laughs> terrified of animals oh, no. <laughs> so she's a real champ for taking me but she was like we need to find something that I can mm-hmm. really like <laughs> find joy from um and so we went over to Namibia to work with an NGO that has kind of a multifaceted uh charity that works with animals land conservation uh health clinics all of that kind of stuff and we did a bit of time working in an animal sanctuary and then we did a bit of time doing a bit of admin for a rural medical clinic. And so standing out in um, Epicura, which is about five hours uh, east of the capital city of Namibia, um, I was fairly, uh, I, I was faced with the issue of, pre- of period poverty fairly quickly. Yeah. Um, and I realized that there were a lot of people living out there that didn't have just access to the yeah. products that we had access to. And so 
So before it became something that was kind of a financial obstacle or anything like that, it was the fact that there just wasn't any pads, there wasn't any tampons, there wasn't anything that they could safely use um, available. And so that kind of continued along because I ended up getting a job with that NGO doing some digital marketing. And so I ended up living out there for a while and we were making very, very little money, but I had some lovely Sydney savings to fall back on. So it didn't worry me too much. Whereas my co-workers and the people that worked at the clinic, they were all faced with the trial of how do I prioritize, you know, food, fun, sanitary products, all of these things that I want to spend my money on. And a lot of people ended up in relationships with doctors just to get their pads. Yeah. And I just thought that doesn't need to be a thing. We don't need to have women dating doctors just to pad. So surely there's something we can do about that. And so um, with a bit of time and and um, a bit of creative thinking, I came up with the COVA project and we tried to implement it in Namibia, which didn't come off in the end, which ended up being one of those curveballs that worked out for the best because we became an independent Australian charity that basically has a, a method of implementing menstrual cups and menstrual hygiene education anywhere in the world with local partners um, and it's given us this amazing ability to basically make a difference wherever it's needed and wherever we're we're called in to to help so yeah all all that time ago it's it's turned out to be the best thing ever obstacle after obstacle yeah and yeah so now finally in in 2020 we've we've uh donated 6,500 menstrual cups and we've done training for 6,500 women and girls Um, and they've basically you know been given a a very kind of what we would say simplistic um, education on menstrual health and hygiene Mm -hmm. but it's something that they're just not getting otherwise and it's something that you know, we all laughed at in year seven PDHPE sitting there going, oh my God, I can't believe my teachers just said the word period. How embarrassing. Yeah, right. (laughs) But like, thank God they did because we were all able to then go into our lives being like, oh, it's just the the worst thing about it. I mean, apart from obviously all the terrible things with pain and and everything that comes with it is that it's funny. For these girls, the consequences of not knowing what's going on with their bodies when it happens it's Massive. so jarring. It's so negative. And we wanted to just put that little bit of um, confidence back into it by, I know what's happening to me. I know why it's happening to me. And I, it has a massive ripple effect. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, it's incredible work that you do. And you use the term um, period poverty there. For those who don't, who haven't heard that term before, can you describe what period poverty is? Sure. So, so I personally don't love the term because Mm -hmm. it it does sound like this dire situation um I mean the term poverty just in general is just such a like yuck word um but it is a term that's used quite widely it it basically refers to somebody who doesn't have access or the financial means to be able to safely go through their period Mm. um so so we use it as a blanket statement but for us it's anyone who doesn't have access anyone who can't afford or anyone who faces any barriers towards safely going through menstruation yeah yeah absolutely and one of the big problems with with period poverty is that you know a lot of girls are not going to school because they have their period and and there's no way for them to 
you know, to really be at school and to be able to control that. Um, yeah, what are the what are the ripple effects of that then for, you know, further on? So, I mean, it's just crazy. Like it starts off, you know, when girls first get their period, depending on what culture you're from, Australia, you know, Namibia, Liberia, Malawi, all the places that we work and all the places that I've kind of been to, everybody has their own consequences. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we've even heard kind of horror stories um, from places in the world where basically a, the first time a girl gets her period, she has to go through some kind of very traumatic ordeal either a man coming to have sex with her for the first time to get her ready for marriage, all sorts of things that you just, like, there's no way that you're then having your period again and not immediately reliving yeah. the trauma of the first time. Um, again, also, it means that you're ready to have kids, so yeah. it's time for you to get married. So there is that fear factor available um, with it. Then you look at absenteeism. So I was going to school. Everything was kind of fine. How lucky am I to be able to have this education? Oh, sorry. Now I can only do, you know, roughly three quarters of my school year while my male counterpart is there full time. Why would my parents pay for my education when I'm getting three quarters of it and my Mm. brother gets a full one? So there's all of these kind of consequences that start really young um, that all kind of play into that confidence that that is in a woman's life for the forever. Mm. So basically, we we look at it from that perspective of like when you're young, this is something that can really impact you for life. But then on a more kind of, you know, looking at it in terms of a girl's future, you've got school, which then they usually end up not making the full year, which means they drop out. Yeah. When you drop out, you're not spending time in a safe environment during the day, so you're more likely to be, you know, potentially victimised in your life. You're more likely to be married off younger, have mm-hmm. more kids. There's all sorts of ripples there. Um, not being able to go into the workforce, you don't have that independence, you can't take care of yourself, again, reliant on your male counterpart. And then you've got things like if you can't go and get your university degree, you're never going to end up in politics which yeah. means you're never going to have that kind of like women in power, which then breeds that change, change that we're all yeah. looking for. So, <laughs> so this this ripple is just like you you really could draw it, and the the slope of it is wild. Yeah. So so it is something that we kind of look at, and we're like, you can say that it's it's just a period, but what's just a period? Like it's your confidence, it's your dignity, and confidence and dignity is everything oh absolutely and even you know here in Australia it's like periods are very stigmatized to begin with you know like you it's not you're not supposed to talk about it like and um yeah for that to that yeah but majority of the time we are able to quote-unquote hide the fact that we have our periods it's just I know for myself personally I get really bad period pain and so you know I'll be sitting at work and just sort of slowly dying on the inside but just going through just going through it and and nobody really noticing but for them to to look in and to see that for other people it is this and it's not something you really think about no yeah and and between you and me and your audience (laughs) um (laughs) I always compare it because men are always like oh you know what is it? What's period pain? Just get over it, whatever. I like to say, just imagine that you've had like a really big burrito and you have had an accident in your pants, mate. Like it's living through that while at work. You know it's happening. Mm -hmm. It's all up here. 
in your head, mm-hmm. but you have to go on and present to a meeting room full of your bosses and everything. Treat it like that. That's what we go through. Like yeah. we know we're bleeding. We know we're in pain. We are uncomfortable. We do not want to be there. We would like to be at home, but it happens to us every month. So we roll with the punches. We get out there and we do it with a smile. Like (laughs) that is the best kind of way that I can bring a man into like the issue by saying like we are at the best, we are uncomfortable. Yeah. Absolutely. Worst, which it sounds like you go through a similar mm-hmm. thing to me. The pain is Ooh. like, you may as well chop my foot off. Like yeah. it's the same thing. And then you're asking me to get up and, you know, present as if I'm healthy and happy. Yeah. It ain't going to happen. Yeah. I, um, I remember in high school once a guy friend of mine described to me what the the physical feeling of getting kicked in the nuts feels like and it sort of felt like a sort of twisting in the stomach and I was like that's what period pain feels like yeah so just imagine being kicked in the nuts for a week every month (laughs) exactly (laughs) exactly and imagine if every time a guy got kicked in the nuts a girl went oh what have you been kicked in the nuts oh my god like yeah thanks thank you (laughs) so much thank you you. I have a bit in like one of my bits in in some of my my stand up comedy is about period pain and every time I do it women come up to me and they're like yes I totally get that you know, yeah. or I'm going to imagine that every time I have my period now and I've had um guys come up to me and be like I never imagined it that way like and yeah yeah I mean, it's such a universal experience. We always get asked what the differences um, in culture mean for us going over to Africa and chatting to the girls about this stuff. It, I truly can't tell you how universal it is. When you get up in front of a crowd of girls and you talk about, like, the, it is the worst pain, I'm so unhappy, I want to cry all the time, every girl is like, yes. Like, doesn't matter where you are, that is the experience. It's, like, it's, it's very... Um, almost like warming to be surrounded by women who are just like, listen, we don't speak the same language, but yes. Get it. Yeah. And that was, I read um, in one of your, your articles on, on your website that one of the things when you were over in Africa that you realized, and you sort of mentioned this before is that you saw pads being sold individually yeah, rather than by a packet. And that just like, when you think about it, it makes sense, but it also just blew my mind because, again, it was something I never thought about. Like, when I get my period, I go to the shops and I buy a box of ginger beer and some dark chocolate and then I'm set for the week yeah. um, because normally I already have pads and tampons at home. I don't even have to think about it. But to think about the fact that they're sold individually because people can't afford to buy a whole pack and they have to ration it out. Uh, it's outrageous. And, and the idea of, you know, I – like a mother who knows that they have to walk their kid to boarding school, which is like a, you know, six hour walk or something like that going, okay, well I'll use my pad for that day. And looks like I'm at home for the rest of the week, you know, bathing. It's just like, it just hurts you to think about like as a woman, it just hurts you to think about any woman going through that experience while not being equipped with the tools to just do it with dignity like it just hurts yeah yeah absolutely um so let's then talk about how you're helping 
with this, sure. yeah, with the project. Now, I wanted to ask, uh, a lot of people might be familiar with the um, Netflix documentary that came out a little while ago, Period, End of Sentence, mm-hmm. uh, which is about a different organisation that provided a machine that women in India could use to make pads and then and then sort of use that as a business as well. Why did you go down the route of menstrual cups rather than maybe something like that or reusable pads or...? Yeah, so, so there are... First of all, that docker was unreal, and I'm so glad it won an Oscar because it needed that kind of publicity. Um, and the fantastic thing that they were doing was that they brought over the machinery to be able to kind of have that sustainable arm where women found employment doing it. Um, it really was a, a wonderful thing that they were doing. Um, there are a lot of, and a lot is, I'm saying that for my industry, which is a tiny, tiny industry, so for everyone else it's probably not that many, but there's quite a few reusable pad charities and charities that have a reusable pad kind of menstrual hygiene arm to them um, that are available across Africa, and there's very, very few menstrual cup um, Mm -hmm. projects. And so when I was first looking at it, I, I was kind of weighing up the pros and cons of both, and they both have huge pros and cons. Um, So obviously menstrual cups, it's an invasive product, so it's not going to be as appealing as a starting Mm. product to many girls, whereas reusable pads, that's very similar to pads or cloth that they've been using before, so it's it's easy to get their head around. But depending on the climate, it's quite hard to find enough water to wash a reusable pad properly Mm -hmm. or enough sunshine to dry it in a wet season. Um, Whereas obviously menstrual cups, it's a piece of silicon. So, you know, quick wash and tap it three times and it's dry. Yeah. So there's, there's pros and cons to both of those. A menstrual cup also can last up to 10 years, whereas a reusable pad has a lifespan of two to five years, depending on who you get the pad from. Yeah. So we were also kind of sitting there going, how do we make this as sustainable as possible? Obviously, it's not going to be appealing to every girl that we give it to, as any project would find, but but our stats are kind of 60 to 70% success rate. We, we usually get a 70% success rate, but we like to bring it down to 60 just so that we know, like, yeah, always room to improve. Like, let's yeah. lowball ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, so in the end, we went, listen, if there are a group of girls, even if, even if it's a tiny group that is getting benefit from the cup and it can last some 10 years, that to me was was such a win. And yeah. in the end, we've chosen not to offer both options because we know girls will go immediately to the pad because it's something yeah. they're familiar and comfortable with. And I'm a cup user. Everyone in our team is a cup user. We truly believe that the cup is an equally um, – impressive tool (laughs) so we we wanted to offer something different and we also know that in the areas that we work in there are reusable pad projects nearby so anytime there's kind of a community that it really doesn't work for we can refer to a reusable pad project to come in and kind of replace us yeah and I want to talk to you as well about sort of how how did you actually get this properly started? You know, you came up with the idea. How did it go from my idea to a reality? Did you know anything about creating an NGO beforehand? You had worked for one before. How did you, As I mean, this is a few questions in a row here, but yeah. how did you um, get your partnership with FlowCup as well yeah. sort of as that process? So, so it was, again, massive learning curve with major obstacles, as mm. everything is. Um Basically, I'd never started an NGO. I'd only ever worked for one, which when you work for one, you rarely know the back end of it and what's actually involved. I think um, 
probably blind confidence and stubbornness uh, <laughs> were the attributes that got it done. It, it was a real um, mess because, as I said, we, we wanted to start it in Namibia. I actually wanted to start it in collaboration with the NGO that I'd worked for. And that fell through because of some issues with the government, which does happen when you're working in um, in certain countries, but still love the government. <laughs> um, so so we were we were almost forced to create it as a charity. I mean, I think yeah. we it, with hindsight would have loved to do it as a social enterprise or something a bit more like that. But in the end, we just kind of got told this is what has to happen and we made it happen. And Starting a charity in Australia is very difficult and a very long process. I, it's always kind of sounded like something that would just be really fun, and it is not. Um, it is a real, a real hard, hard effort there. Um, but once we, we had a lot of help from lawyers who donated their time, and and once we got off the ground, it really became looking at it more as a business and a network than a charity. So mm -hmm. the business side of it, really understanding how we could be sustainable as someone who got donations and then kind of turn that into expenses because that's a terrible business model. So how could we do that in a way that that would work? And then a network in basically going out to like all these women who are passionate about this and saying like, what is your skill set and how can you donate a small amount of your time so that we can all work together to get this done in the cheapest way possible. So the bulk of that money can just go to cups, go to education, go to employing our local teams on the ground and that's it. Yeah. So, so in thinking about it like that, we kind of took away that, that charity aspect of it and really became this, it like it, to me, it always feels more like a network than anything. Mm. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so in all of that, how did you end up getting the um, partnership with, with FlowCup as yes. well? So, so FlowCup, we, we originally went out to tender, said who, who can give us the cup for the cheapest price. Mm -hmm. um, and we, we always wanted a Swedish cup because the reputation of menstrual cups is that the best ones come out of Sweden. There you go, um, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, fun facts. <laughs> um, and we had this big business that was like, we will do – you know, $7 a cup, you'll never find anyone who'll beat that. And so we yeah. were like, uh, okay, but they like wanted a lot from us. And we were kind of like, yes, this, this feels like the best price, which we, we, that's what we want, but there feels like a couple of strings attached here yeah. and flow cup who we'd been negotiating with, who couldn't originally give us a cup at that price, just wrote to me and said, listen, Gina, we just want to be involved. So whatever the lowest price is that you've got, that you've gotten, please give us that price and we will match it and we wow. would like to be your partners in this. And it was that attitude that I mm. just was like, that's the right partner for us. And, yeah. and realistically, they're just a supplier, but they have become a part of our team. And um, Diana, who's the CEO of FlowCup, she and I just get on like a house on fire <laughs> and she never hesitates to go out of her way for us. She will pack cups herself and ship them off to Uganda for us, go into our own time, everything like that. And I would do the same for Flow Cup. I feel like we're just so aligned in neither of us are looking to turn a profit anywhere. Like yeah. it's very much about the impact. And, yeah, they've become part of the COVA project. Yeah, that's really awesome. So when you, when you provide these cups, you go in person and you actually educate as well. Can you tell us a bit about your experience sort of going there? Are people, are people hesitant? towards 
getting these cups? So so our model really is that we have a local partner on the ground, which is either an NGO or a community group or even just someone who's a pillar in the community who's really passionate about this. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we like to see ourselves more as like the fundraising supply arm of the of the charity. Um, but we always make sure that, you know, we're the ones doing the training first off. So because we've only done two distributions in person so far, because we've mm-hmm. only really been operating for two years, yeah. um, we go in, we run the first kind of um, training session. We sit down with the girls, we talk them through everything, and we have our local partners who are going to be our project leaders jump up with us and then run the second session themselves so that it's yeah. kind of that educational handover. because. In the end, we don't need a couple of Australian girls standing up in front of a community in Ghana being like, hi, this is a menstrual cup. Put it in your vagina. You'll be fine. Like, <laughs> it's not the vibe yeah. at all. <laughs> so so we we are purposely trying to phase ourselves out as much as possible. Yeah. Um, but in saying that, like, we, we do do the initial setup for each project. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, so we, we go over there. We actually fly up to Sweden. We pick up the cups ourselves and then we fly into countries and work our way down the continent of Africa at each of our projects yeah. along the way. Um, which is always a real adventure because going through customs with menstrual cups, it's like... I was going to ask, is that like the, the security give you a weird look when you've just got bags and bags full? They do. <laughs> and it's quite uh, nerve-wracking because in a lot of these countries, like, sex toys are banned and you can do serious jail time for bringing in a sex toy. Um, so carrying in menstrual cups, it's like you, you've got you got to pick your customs agent. Like, yeah. are they going to be freaked out when you say it's for women with their period, you put it in your vagina, are they going to go, okay, yes, yes, please just go through, don't talk yeah. to me about this anymore, I, I can't do it, or are they going to go, oh, that's fantastic, madam, would you turn around and I'm going to cuff you, you're going to jail. Yeah. <laughs> um, so so we like to pick it, but I think um, a really good smile, you know, works a treat in all situations where you're a little a little unsure, so so we like to do big smiles and, and so you've you look fantastic today. Yeah. Can I compliment you on your uniform? <laughs> that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, but I mean, it's definitely a bit of a, a challenge. Um, but we we find it quite difficult because there's a couple of countries where you can't really put in a shipping route yet because the corruption is a little existent. And, um, you know, all those challenges that Australian businesses generally don't deal with. So, so we um we do carry them ourselves. We we come into country and uh, we've got these big black duffel bags on our shoulders, like we're in the mafia, and you know we make it work. <laughs> and um, that's fantastic. <laughs> uh, I wanted to ask as well. Um, you know, when you're doing that education, obviously you said you know you do sort of pass it on eventually, but is is language a barrier there? A lot of the time? So it depends. So so we work in Liberia, Ghana, Uganda, and Malawi. In Liberia, everybody speaks English. It's Liberian English, just as our English is Australian English. Yeah. So there's a big kind of gap in in my tone versus their tone. Yeah. Um, and I, it, it is a constant Q&A of a girl telling me her question and me nodding along and then looking to our partner going, you know, Martina, can you please, you know, give me that back? <laughs> And then I give my answer and the girl nods along and she looks and goes, Martina, do you mind letting me know what Gina just said? So so there's definitely kind of that. And then you've got um, Ghana where we, we have these wonderful partners, which is um, Yevu Clothing. 
Um, and they've kind of worked there and they've been dealing with the Australian accents of Anna Robertson, who's the co-CEO of Yevu Clothing. So they're, they're used to that. And then you've got Uganda where there's Swahili and French and yeah. it's, it's just kind of a, uh, it, it really is completely reliant on the translation of our local partners yeah. um, for the most part. And then the girls in the room who do speak English and can cope with my accent um, <laughs> who sit there and whisper to their friends, this is what she said. Like, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, we go over things a thousand times. So we make sure the translation is clear and yeah. all the educational materials that the girls walk away from are uh, walk away with are in their local language oh, that's right. so so even if that's um in malawi uh tumbuka or chewa you, like we make sure that it's it's going to work for everyone and then we know that literacy is again something that's that's a challenge so yeah. we always have instructional um materials that are just visual yeah uh, so that the girls can at least look at them and go okay yeah. i know the gist is good yeah and um, you, know, you mentioned the, the countries that you go to there. How do you pick the places that you go to? You know, obviously there's so many people you want to help and, and only yeah. so much you can do. So it's been quite an interesting um, turn because when we started, we, we had all of these funds and these cups that were originally destined for Namibia that we needed to find new locations for. So it was very much us reach or me reaching out to my network saying who's working with communities that could benefit from this mm. um, and who has project leaders who think this is a good idea and is something that they're interested in like doing with their lives. Um, and that's how we isolated Liberia and Malawi. Um, we also sent a huge amount of stock off to South Africa to an NGO that was already doing menstrual hygiene with mm -hmm. uh, menstrual cups and they did mobile clinics. We were really looking for like solutions of where the cups could go. And that, has done the biggest 180 because now we don't approach anyone. We get approached probably every two weeks oh, wow. who need cups and we are super picky and super like, mm. you know, we, we don't want to go into any community that we can't, you know, be sustainable within and we can't show up all the time and, and meet the, the need. And we don't mm -hmm. want to go into any community that doesn't have the project leaders that have the passion that we're looking for. Like we, we end up being, kind of so so tough on making sure that we can meet um the requirements of all of our current projects and take on new projects that it's yeah. it's really quite painful to go through because yeah. you end up saying no to so many people who who you want to help mm. um but yeah it, it it ended up being this this real roller coaster of like having Liberia as our first partner which I don't know how much you know about Liberia but as an Australian you actually can't go to Liberia unless you have um, a visa that's written by a Liberian NGO that says that you're coming to help oh, them. Wow. So no Australians go to Liberia. Yeah. Like, your credit cards work there. So it's just a, mm. a logistical nightmare. But it's such a, a fantastic place that, that really has had a history of very recent suffering and war. Um, yeah. And they're trying to rebuild. They have so much hustle. They have so much ambition um, and they have an American history because actually uh, a lot of slaves were repat repatriated there. And so it was a, right. a real mix of um, cultures and everything. So that's a fascinating country. And then you've got Malawi, which is a country that's lived in extreme poverty but never had any war. So it's a totally different mm. vibe of being incredibly peaceful and and all of this stuff. So we, we have this incredible diversity across our projects of what they all offer and what their strengths are and what the challenges are and all of those things. 
And um, in the end, we've kind of built this West African arm with our Liberian and, Ga- and Ghanaian projects, and then this kind of East African arm of Uganda, Malawi, and helping out South Africa. And so, um, yeah, it's it's become something that kind of exists in these two places. And when we add projects, they'll likely be close um, proximity to our existing projects, just so mm-hmm. that eventually we can bring on regional managers from those areas and actually yeah. put more jobs than what we're doing in those areas. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, we get calls from all over the world and it's it's very hard to figure out in terms of funding where we can kind of put projects to make sure that we're not spending unnecessary money flying mm. these long distances because the flights across Africa, you'd think that they'd be, you know, 200 bucks a flight, they can get up to five grand a flight. Oh, my God. Yep. Wow. Yeah, yeah. I wasn't expecting that. I know, yeah. I know. We had to fly from Brussels to Liberia earlier in the year and there was two of us and it was five grand and it was just like – we were booking months in advance, like we did everything we could, mm. but that's how it works because there's just so few flights into these countries and then yeah. the business people that are moving across them book them out. Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, I saw in one of um, you know, your videos of one of your trips you sort of showing some of the menstrual cups to some men in the villages as well. How often do you try and educate the men um, in the area? So our attitude is that we – quote unquote try every time yeah very rarely do men show up yeah <laughs> um so our one of our projects in uganda which is run by our partner irise they have a complete built-in structure where they educate uh the school boys alongside the school girls so they mm-hmm. think it's equally as important for the school boys to have the education as the girls Um, which is fantastic. When we work in places like Liberia and Malawi and we're working with women, not schoolgirls, so you don't have that captive male audience, and we say, please come along at this time of this day, and then we're sitting in an empty room for a couple of hours, that's the reality. Mm. When we can get a captive audience, like (laughs) in that video, which was at a mechanics workshop that we went into and started chatting to the boys, it's always positive. I I think. Oh, really? Yeah, I think there's this real reputation of uh, men, and you know, in particular, men who may not have a reputation for being super pro feminism, just mm. being like, if you say the word period around me, like I'm gonna run. You're gonna have to catch me. Um, and that's not the case. Like they they oftentimes are interested in knowing the financial benefits. Yep. So when we say, listen, we're gonna give you a cup. This cup in uh, for your daughter in Malawi is going to last for 10 years and we will be donating it for free. And that will be in comparison to the pads that you've been buying her, which each year are equal to the cost of her annual school fees. Yeah. They just are like, give me the cup now. Give me the cup, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So there's, there's not that necessarily that concern around virginity that I think a lot of Australians um, panic there will be. Mm-hmm. Um, is definitely something that we we discuss a lot, but mm-hmm. I think there's a there's a certain section of people who are worried about it, and there are a certain section people of there are a certain section of people who are more concerned with their finances and with the health of their daughter and all of those. Yeah, things. yeah, absolutely. Um, I was wondering if you had any sort of stories or, or experiences that have stood out to you of any of the women that you've met on your trips as well. Um, The one that immediately springs to mind is that when we were in Ghana earlier this year, there was an older woman who was sitting in on the training session um, and 
she said, listen, I'd like to take a cup, but I believe I'll be going through menopause in the, in the next couple of years. And so I'm wondering if I can put the cup in my will to go to my granddaughter because it seems like oh. an item, you know, value. And honestly, the whole room broke into hysterics, but everyone was just like, that is the best question we've ever heard. <laughs> like, that is just unreal. Like, to, to really kind of sit there and go, wow, this is an audience that really has grasped how important this device yeah. can be, um, that, that was incredibly memorable. Then, of course, um, I mean, there, there's just so many moments seeing our project leaders just kind of jump into the role because a menstrual hygiene professional isn't a role. Like, that's not something yeah. that they're kind of like, when I grow up, I want to be. <laughs> um, so so we have Ellaby, who, who is our project leader in um, Malawi, and she would be 20 this year. And she and her mum actually run the project together, which is just the best thing ever because a mother-daughter duo, like, could it be better? Um, and she is just unbelievable. Like, she speaks multiple languages, which is just embarrassing for me to be around because I did, like, a billion years of French and I don't even know how to say hi. Um, and she will get in front of a crowd. She She comes across as this very quiet person softly spoken just very gentle and she will get in front of a crowd and be like who needs help with their cup I will show you how to put it in let's go and you're just <laughs> like why are you this good at this and she's like I'm just passionate about women and women's health like I want women to have all the opportunities that exist how can I help them have them and she's grown up in the village She's an absolute legend. She's just like all she wants is for her university education to become a reality. And you're just like, I just want to give you the world. Like you're just you're just yeah. fantastic. Like there's our project leaders are so special. Our project leader in Ghana, her name is Abena. She actually is the exception to what I just said. She grew up being like menstrual hygiene. That's where I want to go. And she, in her free time, goes into rural areas and does menstrual health um, clinics. So she was a natural project leader for us to grab. And she went to a music festival a year ago and she covered herself in pads and tomato sauce and went as a period. Oh, wow. And was like, listen, this is what it is. And she's like the most gorgeous Ghanaian girl. Like she just looks like the coolest <laughs> chick ever. And she's walking around as a period being like, let's talk about it. I love that. I love so, that so much. You know, we talk about this, this, there's this kind of misconception in Australia of like, oh, you're going into some very conservative countries mm. and you're bringing your Western values into people's faces. It's like, listen, I've never dressed as a period to a music festival, <laughs> but God damn, I might now. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was another question I wanted to ask you as well. Like, obviously what you're doing is, just fantastic work, but we also know that there are people in the world that will put down people who are doing incredible things. Have you gotten negativity from people saying that you, you shouldn't be doing this or other sort of variations on that? Yeah, I mean, and we should. Like there's mm -hmm. th this whole thing about the white saviour complex and everything I think is a really valid yeah. um, thing to call out because there are a lot of people going into places that they didn't grow up in and mm -hmm. trying to put their own values on those places and causing more harm than good. And that should 1000% be called out. I'm a, yeah. a big believer of it. And I'm actually someone who kind of semi-regularly does it myself. 
um, just not on the internet because not a hater. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but the thing is that we, I don't think you can find a team that's harder on themselves than us. Mm-hmm. Um, we call each other out for everything. We are constantly looking to improve our language. We are constantly looking to be, you know, the group that that does this as well as possible. And and we're always going to kind of have learning curves and and try and figure it out. But but we are really, really passionate about being more solution than problem, which is something that white people have struggled yeah. with in the past, I think is fair to say. <laughs> um, so, so that's kind of our whole drive of making ourselves as redundant as possible in, in kind of every yeah. uh, part of this. And, and our hope eventually is that we will find a government that wants to take this off our hands and just mm. be like, well, we will do this, you know, just be there as, as someone who we can ask questions to. Um, but until that happens, we're happy to do the work uh, as long as it's kind of in in true partnership yeah. uh, with people who know the communities that we're in and, and are monitoring us and, and feel confident criticising us. That's one of the yeah. things that I'm really passionate about is I don't want to have partnerships that we label partnerships but are really a dictatorship with me at the head yelling at everyone and keeping them, you know, scared. I, I really have always said to our partners, like, give us the negative feedback. If the success rate is 10%, I want to know. Like, yeah. that's it's not going to cut your funding. Please don't ever be afraid that, like, you have to give us fake results because you're worried that we're going to walk away and people are going to lose their jobs and everything. It won't happen. Mm-hmm. Like, we want the truth. We want the negative feedback. Tell me what I'm doing well and what I'm not doing well. Like, we want to hear it. That's a really awesome attitude to have. It's really good. Um, and hopefully it's one that more people will adopt. Um, yeah. 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 Um, I wanted to ask, there's a few sort of um, quotes that I sort of saw quite a few times as I was researching. Um, one of them is, this is a cup, it's a scholarship, it's a key to a brighter future. Could you elaborate on that a bit more? Yeah, so, I mean, as I said, girls who don't have access to the right Mm -hmm. tools um, while they're menstruating, they do miss roughly 50 days a year of school. Three quarters of their school year is all that they can really attend. So so in my head, when you're giving someone a cup, you you are giving them potentially those days back. Obviously, there are women who experience severe pain, like yourself and me, who (laughs) are still going to miss that first couple of days because you can't stand up. But but there are still a lot of girls who are not going to school because they're worried that they're going to mess up their uniform and a bunch of boys are going to laugh at them. Yeah. And the feedback that we're getting is that that's not a problem anymore for a lot of these girls and that they're just so relieved and that they honestly feel like they can go to school and that their period is their secret, which, you know, Australians are big on like, let's be period positive and everything. But yeah. the truth is like, not everyone's ready for that. Like some no, people absolutely. want to keep it their secret and, yeah. And that's fine. So so I see it as a scholarship for having those days back and I see it as a scholarship for not feeling like you have to drop out because you're falling behind because yeah. of the loss of those days. Yeah. And it's like you mentioned earlier that, you know, it's $7 per cup. That's, you know, the donations that you, you, you sort of call out for people. You say, you know, $7, that's a cup. And to think if you sort of think about that in a way of your $7, which is, you know, not even a meal. Mm-hmm. Is is a scholarship for for a young woman is is yeah. going to give them that that future that I mean how can you say no to that I know it's it's two cups of coffee or it's yeah. like half of your drunk Uber Eats on a Saturday <laughs> night like I know you want that kebab but like come on let's yeah. give it let's give a girl a cup 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, this sort of plays into the same thing, and you've you've used the word dignity quite a few times, but um, another one of those quotes that I've seen a lot is access, education, dignity. Um, and how did you choose those three words to sort of be that um, sort of motto, if that's the right word? Yeah, so yeah. It's, it's kind of our slogan-esque yeah. thing. It's actually quite a funny story. It did come from my dad, which is just <laughs> exactly the kind of dad you want, you know, someone who can jump in and be like, let's talk menstrual health and hygiene, rock and roll. Um, but he sat me down and he was like, what are you trying to achieve? Like, give me three words of what you're trying to achieve. And I was like, listen, we want to provide access to the product. We want to give girls back their education and we want girls to walk around with a sense of dignity at all times. And he was like, there it is, locked and loaded. That's awesome. That's really cool. Um, and the other quote that I wanted to bring up is I think one that you sort of, you mentioned, um, um, oh, this actually might have been before we, we started the actual podcast, but you said that, you know, there was a quote that you wrote that sort of, um, uh, you know, got a lot of momentum and sort of helped you in putting the Cova project together, which is feminism isn't about making women stronger. Women are already strong. It's about changing the way the world perceives that strength. Jesus Christ, that is a good quote. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, where where did you first write that? How did it gain that momentum? And so I wrote that when I was eighteen, sitting at the kitchen table. I was going through the depths of my Lyme disease. I still am, but I was going through the real hard start of it. Um, and I was kind of, I've always been like a very serious feminist. I've I've really kind of been a bit of a, a feminist warrior for way too long. Um, but I was watching a lot of what was kind of called feminist, like films and television shows at that time. And they were all girls in like skin tight leather cat suits, kicking mm -hmm. men in the face. And I was just like, this is not strong women. Like, mm -hmm. This is its own subsection of that, but, like, why is the girl who, like, is super bright and, like, you know, whatever, why is she not getting the credit for her strength? Or why is the girl who's who's always able to comfort her friends and get them through the hard times and show that empathy and that that emotional intelligence, why, why are they not getting the credit? And so I was getting a bit frustrated, and so I ended up writing a, a little essay about how female characters um, needed to kind of be a bit more well-rounded and that this this strength was not about just like taking the average woman and teaching her how to fly kick someone in the head like it that's not what we are we are so much more than that we always will be and we always have been and to start saying that feminism is starting now that we know how to do that kick is just rubbish yeah so so that's where that quote came from and it ended up getting all this traction online I honestly don't know how it happened I was sitting back watching my phone just have notifications you know flying in yeah it had nothing to do with me um but it ended up kind of putting me on some pretty impressive lists like Harper's Bazaar top feminist quotes and Vogue UK's yeah. top feminist quotes it got this this name, G.D. Anderson, which is the name that I write under out there. And that platform was what allowed us to launch the COVID project and have that initial success yeah. that, that got us off the ground. So I'm I'm incredibly thankful to that quote and I'm incredibly thankful to the women in cat suits that led me there. <laughs> um, and I wanted to, I was looking through some of, you know, your articles and stuff that you've written. And um, I guess this sort of plays into that. You wrote a very short piece about Leslie Nope. 
uh, Amy Poehler's character from Parks and Recreation, and I went, yes, I want to talk to you about <laughs> Leslie Nope. Um, so, yeah, can we talk about, you know, Leslie Nope is sort of that, you know, she's the very intelligent. She, for those who haven't seen the show, you know, she's in, in politics and things, and um, why do you think she's such a good feminist? Because she created Galentine's Day, obviously. She did. Oh, my God. Obviously. She's a girl who knows how to eat, which is a girl after my own heart. Like, she knows what a waffle, you know, can do for your mood. Um, That's huge. And, yeah, she just was everything. Like, she, watching that show for the first time, it was just, like, a workaholic woman who wanted change, wanted better community for everyone. It was just, like... Hell yeah. Like, no, no character has ever been anything like that before to me. I, I felt like watching that was watching a a type of woman be on television for the first time or potentially that type of woman be a positive thing for the first time. Like, yeah, there probably true. has been that character a thousand times, but she's uptight, yeah. shitting on the guy's sense of humour, being a buzzkill, always doing the right thing. And it was just like, I'm that person. I'm the type A workaholic, um, you know, don't laugh at the guy's jokes when they're at a girl's expense kind of thing. Yeah. And it's always been a negative. And this was like, oh, no, she's the funniest character on television. Yeah. It's a good thing. Like, <laughs> thank God. Yeah. yeah. Why did she resonate for you? Yeah. Oh, I, I think for very similar reasons, um, you know, it was seeing that, that intelligence be her power. Like, yeah. you know, I'm uh, not, not that Leslie Nope is, but um, I'm a plus size woman. So, you know, I'm not seen in, you know, general standards as, you know, the, the pinnacle, the sexy woman or whatever. And to see her being um, so uplifted by, by her intelligence and, yep. and by all these other things, you know, Amy Poll is also gorgeous, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, was this really cool. And she didn't, um, lose any other part of her personality by being really smart. She was still a very good friend. She was still very sexual and romantic as well. And yep. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. I just And I also think her yeah. love for Joe Biden is really <laughs> like those memes are coming back for 2020. I just feel that in my bones. Yeah. Yeah, I totally yeah. get that. <laughs> awesome. Now, um, we're going to wrap up very shortly, but I like to ask a random question towards the end of the podcast for each guest, and it's different for everyone. Okay. Uh, and so my question for you this time is, um, do you or have you ever collected anything? Oh, that is a good question. Thank you. Do you know my dad and my grandmother are both huge collectors and many times I had to clean coin collections old coins and I think that permanently turned me off from ever collecting anything (laughs) myself because I thought this requires a lot of storage and a lot of maintenance and I don't want to do that yeah I think probably the only thing I've ever collect oh do you know the fair thing to say would be photos I'm one of those people on my phone that uh, that has like 27,000 photos um so without that taking up any space in my life that really probably is the thing that my friends would say I'm a bit of a photo hoarder (laughs) that's fair mine um people who know me will know this already it's definitely mugs 
Uh, I collect like weird and wonderful mugs. I'm sitting looking at them right now. Like, the, are they on display or are they in a cupboard? They are. Well, I've got so many. <laughs> that, um, twelve of them are on display, um, and there's a few more in a cupboard. But they're all like, like I've got one that's like the the bottom half of Minnie Mouse. So you're like drinking. I know out exactly of what you're talking. Yeah. I know exactly what yeah. you're talking about. Uh, I've got like a cauldron. Um, one's the Leaning Tower of Pisa, which is actually leaning. Is it from Italy? To drink from. It is. I did a trip when I was at uni because um, I studied history, which was like we did Gallipoli in the Western Front. And mm-hmm. so I went to five countries in five weeks and I had to make myself the rule that I was only allowed to buy one mug in each country because, you know, I had to get them back without breaking. Um, that so- is dedication it was really hard I have one that's the Turkish flag and it's like it's on an angle so it's sort of like a flag is billowing in the wind oh hell yeah yeah I really that so that's definitely um I think my mum was glad when I moved out because she could clear all the mugs out of the kitchen so that's what I was gonna say mugs is like my nightmare because it is space consuming and it's cleaning because you want to drink out of them oh I constantly drink out of them yeah (laughs) There's so much, and I um I took one to work um you know to have my work I've got I've got like um you know like the little Miss and the Mister Men mm-hmm. um I've got two of those I've got Mister Happy and Mister Perfect and so Beautiful. I'm like if I feel like I need to be happy I'll drink out of Mister Happy. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. Love so it. That's that's my weird collection. Is Perfect. Um, and now the final question I want to ask you mm-hmm. is one that I ask everybody. Uh, the show is called Loud and Seemingly Confident because that's how I once described myself. Mm-hmm. Do you consider yourself a confident person? I I do. I have become I have become very confident because I've had to know myself inside and out going through my Lyme disease. So mm-hmm. so it's definitely an adjective that I would describe myself as. But uh, the name of your your show resonated with me so much because. <laughs> Like I I am loud even when I'm having those insecure days yeah. because I do feel like whatever you project is what ends up kind of like it, it rains down on you gently and you pick up little bits of it on your shoulders. So <laughs> so I, I definitely think loud and seemingly slash relatively confident is like mm-hmm. a good description of me. Yeah. I always, every time something like I mentioned to someone that I've got a podcast, like, what's it called? I'm like loud and seemingly confident. And they, it's the same little chuckle every time. Yeah. Because they're like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. And I love how you say for like introverts, extroverts, everyone, because it's like, yeah. I probably deep down am an introvert. Like I do kind of recharge when I'm at home and I have my time, but like, there's nothing I love more than like getting up on a table and screaming at people. Like it's, it's who right. I am too. Yeah. 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 It's that. That definite flip, like yeah. I've mentioned this in previous episodes, but, you know, as a, as a kid I always thought um, I was an extrovert and then for a little while I was like, no, I think I'm an introvert and it's really gone back and forth. And so yeah. that's why I say and everyone in between because yeah. there's definitely people who are at the very ends of either scales, but there's so many people who are, who are in between and it fluctuates. Yeah. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, awesome. Uh well, thank you so much for being on the show You're and welcome. thank you everyone for listening. Uh, you can follow me on Instagram at Chelsea J Heaney. That's H-E-A-N-E-Y. You can also follow the podcast on both Instagram and Facebook at Loud and Seemingly Confident. Gina, where can people find find out more about you and the COVA project? So the most important thing is the COVA project. So on Instagram, we are at the COVA project. As you said at the beginning, C-O-V-A. Oftentimes people hear me say COVA. 
and they think it's something else. Um, uh, and then the Cobra Project is www.thecobraproject.com. And that's all the important things. <laughs> Beautiful. And I highly encourage everyone to go donate $7. Or if you buy your menstrual cup from uh, Low Cup, then they will donate one to the Cobra Project as well, which is really fantastic. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you.